G'day, 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 and welcome everyone. That's our resident scaredy cat, Kate. And that's the horror junkie, Dominic. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about some scary stuff. The sort of fear your asshole knows about. As always, subscribe, rate, and review us. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Shit and Bricks Podcast. All right, drop your dax, pop a squat, and let's get into it. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dominic. How are you today? <laughs> I am good. I am in Perth for our listeners Ooh, who we're may bi-coastal. be wondering. Yeah, I'm West Coast. You're East Coast. I'm Absolutely. LA and you're New York. Yes. Okay, I can deal. Nah, I don't like LA. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like New York, but I'm like, a, you know, I've been into the city lots. It's just a busy place. Yeah, it's my favorite city. So how about we swap? Let's swap. I'm happy to do that. Let's do it. Okay. Amazing. Oh, so you're over in Perth. I'm in Melbourne. Uh, and we are, yeah, we're taking this pod national. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Perth's the place to be, I hear. <laughs> oh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I have an interesting story for you today. Now, I was saying to Dominic off air that uh, it it's not so much scary. I just found it really interesting. But, you know, maybe it'll touch on some of somebody's fear. Maybe it will be something that people are afraid of or something that people, you know, maybe have experienced. Who knows? But we'll get through it. And, um, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, a story of one particular woman that I just found fascinating But today's episode is titled Cabin Fever. Now, cabin fever, it refers to the distressing claustrophobic irritability or restlessness experienced when a person or group is stuck in an isolated location or in confined quarters for an extended time. (laughs) Now, anybody listening to this podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you, hashtag COVID. Appreciate it. And Dom, what are you doing right now? (laughs) I am officially in quarantine in Perth for 14 glorious days and I'm on day three. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I'm here to see my donor child's birthday. He turned one and we're also trying for baby number two, which trying to do that in quarantine is quite a... (laughs) Undertaking. Quite a challenge. Yeah, that's definitely interesting, making a baby when you're not allowed to see or talk to anyone. So that's cool. But yes, you want to talk about cabin fever. I I think after two years of lockdowns in Melbourne and now doing a voluntary one in Perth and I don't have any of my things, I don't, you know, no matter how hard you try, you can't make it comfortable or whatever, familiar. Yeah. So. I'm definitely yep. losing the plot a little. I don't know how how far my <laughs> my my craziness <laughs> is gonna go, but we'll check we'll hey, check back in. Yeah, we, absolutely. Well, who knows? Maybe by the end of this episode recording, you might have a few of the personality traits of the person I'm gonna talk about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'll, you might have to do like a quick video check. We'll do a check in, see where you're at. <laughs> We'll do a bit of a we'll do a bit of a rating to see how close you are to this this woman that that we'll chat about today. Uh, I haven't started talking to any inanimate objects 
yet. Okay, that's a bonus. That is a bonus. Uh, in addition to that, yeah, feeling um, <laughs> irritable or restless, uh, a person may be referred to as stir-crazy, which is derived from the use of stir, meaning prison. Oh. So that's a little, there you go. So whilst stir-crazy or cabin fever, it's not actually a prognosis of of someone. So you can't actually say they're suffering from cabin fever. Okay. It's usually the state that exacerbates other phobias or panic uh, or anxieties. So you'll generally be diagnosed with one of those kind of phobias or something, but they can be brought on by cabin fever. So it's term itself, not so much a, a phobia, but yeah, it's certainly, I mean, as soon as I say cabin fever, everyone's like, yeah, I know what that is. I definitely suffered that. I actually, yeah, I can, I can relate to that because I'm in a new house. I've, um, when it gets dark at night, I now run to my bedroom if it's dark because I was really afraid of the dark (laughs) as a kid. And I swear to God, I keep hearing things or people at the end of the hallway. And last night I remember waking up and staring down the hallway going, I swear someone's about to pop around the corner, which is just ludicrous. But (laughs) Oh my God. The things that your mind can think though, that's, oh wow. That's yeah, definitely. But everybody knows that vibe when you were like a kid and your parents went out, like they went to a wedding or something and you were home and you had to turn (laughs) off all the lights. And I grew up in a double story house. So did you, Dom? So we'd have to like turn stuff off downstairs and then sprint up the stairs to the next thing and then shut the door quickly behind you so the monsters couldn't get you. <laughs> yeah, but you only do it... You forget. When you do it, you also make this sound. <laughs> exactly. Because that's going to deter any of the demon spirits. Yeah. Get on. Run, 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 run. Slam the door. It's the same thing as when you're in bed and it's like you stick your foot out. Uh, out of the sheets and yeah. like, the, the monster underneath my bed is going to grab my foot and some people really think about that too maybe that's another that, that could be part of an episode i don't know there's a whole episode in hanging your foot out of the bed but there might be a part of an episode we could talk about i do think actually i, I know exactly what you're talking about and i often stick my foot out the bed because i my feet get really really hot and i do like to just tempt when the thought comes to me i'm like no fuck it if you're gonna if you're gonna you're going to come for me. You're going to come for my feet. Go for it. I'm not going to hide Take my me. feet for you. Yeah. And I watched the whole entire paranormal activity series before I flew to Perth, which probably right. in hindsight wasn't the greatest idea, but, um, yeah, yeah. You know, Maybe you I, should have watched like, I don't know, chicken run or, um, I don't know, a bug's life. Maybe, you know, we were talking about a bug's life in our creepy crawlies episode last episode. So there you go. Now, I I always like to relate what I talk about to some kind of pop culture, as you know. Yes. So when I did look up Cabin Fever, put it in the old Jujul machine, uh, there's a film called The Lighthouse. Now, I haven't seen it, but it's a 2019 film um, directed and produced by Robert Eggers. Uh, and it stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. And they played two lighthouse keepers who descend into madness when a storm strands them on a remote island where they're stationed. So they are essentially trapped. So mm. it causes, you know, your cabin fever. They can't go anywhere. I was deciding if I wanted to watch it. And then, spoiler alert, um, at the end of it, uh, it says that sometime later, a barely living Howard... So that's one. That's Robert Pattinson's character, I believe. 
um, lies naked on the rocks with, uh, with a damaged eye as a flock of gulls peck at his exposed bowels. So I don't know if I want to put it on my, like, to watch list. Mm. I don't know if I'm vibing it. But, look, if that's of interest to you, if you're... <laughs> If that's your kink, then go for it. <laughs> it's a very specific thing. Was this to try and sell the movie to people? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. No, I think that, I mean, that's literally the end scene. So uh, I've definitely, I've wrecked it. So for anyone who wants to watch it and know what happens. Um, but maybe the journey will be fun. Hmm. Who knows? At least you know the ending. You're going to get some eye pecking and some exposed bowels and whatever floats your boat. <laughs> So what I got from Cabin Fever when I was having a look at that, uh, it led me down the path of agoraphobia. Mm. So people that are agoraphobic, so people who cannot leave their house. So people that, uh, yeah, do have a really uh, distinct phobia and a condition that forces them to stay inside. They just cannot walk out the door. Uh, and it was sort of driven by a story that I read and then I had a bit of a look there's a really really good article so I'm essentially just going to share this article with you but it was on the smithsonianmag.com so smithsonian magazine mm -hmm. and the article was entitled everything was fake but her wealth so that I mean it doesn't really give too much away but that's the title of the article and it is about a woman by the name of Ida Wood have you ever heard of Ida Wood before, Dom? I, Ida wouldn't have known that name if you had have told me. <laughs> All right, there you go. So now you've heard of it. <laughs> okay, so here's the, here's the catch. Here's the first sentence of this. Uh, oh, this, this episode's going to be great. Dom has officially lost, lost the, plot. the plot. I was trying so hard to make it that a funny joke and it just wasn't. But anyway. No. I'm here for it. I much prefer if those jokes, if that's the kind of jokes that we're going with, I'm absolutely <laughs> here for it. <laughs> so this start of this article, Ida Wood never had any intention of renewing her contact with the outside world, but on March 5th, 1931, death made it necessary. Ida wouldn't Beauty. either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Oh, gosh. So this is going to be 50 minutes of Ida Wooden jokes. <laughs> Ida wouldn't do it. Ida would not go. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Kate. Yes, that you go. I, no, I love, I, it. I love it. Okay. So on March 5th, 1931, death made it necessary for the Ida to renew her contact with the outside world. Mm. At four o'clock that afternoon, the 93-year-old did something that she hadn't done in 24 years of living at the Herald Square Hotel. She voluntarily opened the door, craned her neck down the corridor and called for help. Maid, come here, she shouted. My sister is sick. Get a doctor. I think she's going to die. Over the next 24 hours, people filtered in and out of room 552. The hotel manager, the house physician um, that was, uh, yeah, the house physician of the nearby hotel McAlpin, an undertaker who summoned two lawyers uh, from O'Brien Broadman, Conboy, Memhard and Early. You know, that old law firm. <laughs> yes. Uh, the body of Ida's sister, Miss Mary E. Mayfield, lay on the couch in the parlour covered with a sheet. Now, when these people went into the room, they saw that it was crammed with piles of yellowed newspapers, hmm. cracker boxes, balls of string, stacks of old wrapping paper and several large trunks. 
One of the lawyers, Morgan O'Brien Jr., began questioning hotel employees, trying to assemble the puzzle of this really strange and disheveled life that Mary and Ida had been existing in this uh, hotel. Can I just ask, said, sorry, yeah, can I just confirm, no, does she actually have a sister named Mary or is this fake? Oh, we'll find out. Oh. There's certainly, well, they, there's apparently a body okay. um, in there. Oh, I like it. We're just laying a bit of that deception what's going to happen um so the manager said that he'd worked at the hotel for seven years and he had never seen Ida or her dead sister so he'd never seen Ida he'd never seen Mary in seven years (laughs) his records indicated that they moved into the two-room suite in 1907 along with Ida's daughter Miss Emma Wood who died in hospital in 1928 at the age of 71 so she went to hospital, but Mary's still in there with Ida, and Mary has apparently carked it in the parlor room couch. She's now covered in a sheet. Mm. Now, Ida and Mary always paid their bills in cash. The fifth floor maid said that she hadn't got into the sister's suite at all, and only twice persuaded the women to hand over their soiled sheets and towels and accept clean ones through a crack in the door. No, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. I am, as the older I get, the fussier I am with the cleanliness of my sheets. (laughs) You can be forgiven when you're young, but no. You, no, 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 no. Your sheets should always be clean. When you are young, dumb, and full of fun, Mm. then you can get away with it, you know, but not when you get a bit older. I, we just had that heat wave. I've talked about it 500 billion times. I was washing my sheets every other day because I just couldn't cope. I was like, I've, I know I've been sweaty. I know it. And I've just, I can't. Need to have some clean sheets. I don't think Ida and Mary felt the same way, seeing as, you know, in years the maid gave them new sheets twice through a crack Ugh. in the door. Ugh, like, disgusting. imagine the condition of the sheets coming out of that room. I, I, I can't. That actually yeah, reminds it... me of a story. Sorry to interrupt you, Ooh. Kate. Again, Kate. No, please. It's a real quick one. I was, I watched some TikTok story or something, and there was a story of this woman who was so obese that she couldn't get up from her couch, and she stayed in that couch for so long that her skin and the fibers of that couch actually fused <gasps> together. She literally became part of the couch. And when oh, her health declined so badly and they came to take her to the hospital, they couldn't remove her from the couch and they ended up having to, to take her and the couch uh, on the back of a trailer and try and surgically remove her from it. And she ended up oh dying from complications. God. But it just it's that sort of oh, sedentary life is just oh, gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Oh, God. I'm just, oh, yeah. Okay. That is an excellent addition to our story. That's, oh, yeah. Wow. Um, so, I mean, Mary and Ida were, you know, moving around, um, but we can't say that their, their hotel room was in particularly good condition. Uh, a bellhop said that for many years it was his habit to knock on the door once a day and ask if the ladies wanted anything. Mm-hmm. They requested the same items every time. Evaporated milk, crackers, coffee, bacon, and eggs, which were all cooked in a makeshift kitchenette in the bathroom. So this is a hotel. It doesn't have a mm. kitchen. So they've got a makeshift, uh, you know, kitchenette in the in their bathroom. 
and occasionally they asked for fish, which they ate raw. How? The human body cannot survive on just that. Well, maybe it can, but, you know, they were old, right? You were saying that they... Well, they were there for 24 years. So they were, you know, certainly later on in their life. She's 94 at this point in our story. So she's, yeah, I mean, they've been there since she was late 60s, you know, early 70s by all accounts. But she has been there for so long and that's what they're living on just every day. Just some crackers, evaporated milk, bacon and eggs. Imagine the stink, like occasionally fish. fish. That they're eating raw. I can't imagine they're going to eat the bones. So what do they do with them? Just pop them on top of the newspapers? And what like, about rubbish? Yeah. Yeah. They No one was allowed in the room. Mm. So at this point, no one's allowed in there. The maid, as we've established, she's only been able to convince them to give the dirty sheets. Like, you can only imagine, oh, yeah, what was going on. Um, so when the bellhop would come and drop off that stuff, Ida always tipped uh, 10 cents telling him that the money, that that money, that 10 cents was the last money that she had in the world. So she'd always be like, here's my 10 cents, doll. It's the last money I've got. Mm. Give me me crackers and me fish. <laughs> uh, and then he would go off and do the same thing almost, yeah, every day. Okay. Um, from time to time, they also requested uh, Copenhagen snuff, mm. Havana cigars, and jars of petroleum jelly, which Ida massaged onto her face several times a day. So that was her thing. She would just for a few hours just rub Vaseline on Mm. her face. That was her vibe. She was five feet tall, so she was not a tall woman, and 70 pounds. She was nearly deaf and she stooped like a question mark, but her face still had clear evidence of its former beauty. So O'Brien noted he was the lawyer Uh, You could see what an extraordinarily pretty woman she once was. Her complexion, in spite of her age, was as creamy and pink and unwrinkled as any I'd ever seen. It was like tinted ivory. Her profile was like a lovely cameo. Mm. So her face is obviously, you know, responding to this Vaseline (laughs) hours a day (laughs) type situ. Can't say that her posture and her, you know, her other health was particularly good, but her face still looked great. So good for her. Uh, But it was also noted that she had not had a bath in years. So she's just sleeping in dirty sheets. She ain't having a bath. She's rubbing Vaseline all over her face. She's doing her thing, eating fish and crackers and bacon and eggs. Um, So they finally got into this room because she needed that assistance with her sister, Mary. As the undertaker prepared her sister's body just a few feet away, Ida Wood suddenly grew very talkative. She said that she had been a celebrated belle in the South and a prominent socialite in the North. Her husband was Benjamin Wood, the brother of Fernando Wood, who was the former mayor of New York and perennial congressman. She had, despite her complaints to the bellhop, a good deal of cash stashed in her bedroom. (laughs) That's what she was saying. She's like, I've got all this money. I was married to this great guy, Benjamin Wood. He was this rich bloke. And at first, everybody who was there just thought she was senile. She's 94 years old. I mean, the conditions of that room, you would just think, come on, Dal. Like, you're not all right. We don't really believe a lot of what you're saying. Now, upon that discovery, 
uh, and the attention that it garnered, because this is, you know, 1900, early 1900s. She's been living there for 24 years. It's going to spark a little bit of interest around mm. the story. So there was a young lawyer um, who was asked to look into Ida's finances. So the big wigs at Blingom, Bluff, Bluff, Flap and Joey, whatever the law firm was. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien, he was like, okay, this young guy, you have a look at um, Ida's finances and see what the go is. So a representative from Union Pacific revealed that the sisters owned about $175,000 worth of stock and had not cashed their dividends for a dozen years. Mm. Uh, Examining the sale of New York Daily News, which was, uh, yeah, Benjamin Wood owned those. So that was a little info that I omitted but uh yeah so the newspapers so they were in you know quite a a good state financially but O'Brien learned that Ida had sold the paper in 1901 to the publisher of the New York Sun for more than $250,000 so this is in the early 1900s that's a quarter of a million dollars that is a heck of a lot of cash yeah. Um, now, I have spared our listeners the exchange rates and whatnot. I could go on a complete <laughs> deep dive about that, but I've spared that. So yeah. don't worry, everyone. I'm not going to compare, you know, the wind to blow dryers and whatnot. $7.4 million in today's cash. That's my guess. Boom. I love it. So that's a lot of ca- That's a lot of coin. So, you know, she's going on about how 10 cents is the last bit of money she's got. But, uh, yeah, what's happened to all the rest of it? Uh, an old acquaintance of Ida reported that she sold all of the value possession, valuable possessions that she'd acquired over the years, furniture, sculptures, tapestries, oil paintings. An officer at the uh, Guaranteed Trust Company remembered Ida coming to the bank in 1907 at the height of the financial panic, demanding the balance of her account in cash and stuffing all of it, nearly $1 million, into a netted bag. <laughs> She declared that she was tired of everything and she checked into the Herald Square Hotel and disappeared, effectively removing herself from her own life. Like she just went, I'm going to the bank with a little netted bag, shoved million bucks in there and then went to the hotel and that was it. She started collecting newspapers and fish bones. You know, like those, those really funny crochet grandma bags that you take to the grocery store. That's kind of yes. what I'm... Picturing and she put on her finest clothes for that day to go to the bank. I have no doubt. Yeah, exactly. How like liberating would that be though, to just go to the bank and say, I want all my money and I'm just tired of everything. Just give me all my cash. I'm tired of this. The world's going to shit. I'm going to the hotel. Give me my money. Uh, so that's basically what she did, but that would be a really, uh, would be a nice experience. Uh, so a little background on Ida, which has probably one of my little favorite bits. I'm going to try this. Uh, I'll I'll get to it. So Ida first came to New York in 1857 when she was 19 and she was determined to become someone else. So that was her her vibe. (laughs) She listened to gossip and she looked at the society pages and she found frequent mention of Benjamin Wood, a 37-year-old businessman and politician. So she's 19, he was 37, mm. but she was like, oh, he sounds rich because he's in the society pages all the time and, like, you know, he's a businessman and a politician. So knowing that they'd never crossed paths in an ordinary course of events, she composed a letter to Benjamin Wood. I adore this letter and I am 100% trying it. It's amazing. It says, Mr. Wood, sir, 
Having heard of you often, I venture to address you from hearing a young lady, one of your former lovers, speak of you. She said you are fond of new faces. <laughs> I fancy that as I am new in the city uh, and in societal affairs, that I might contract an agreeable intimacy with you of as long as duration as you saw fit to have it. I believe that I'm not extremely bad looking nor disagreeable. Perhaps not quite as handsome as the lady with you at present, but I know a little more and there's an old saying, knowledge is power. <laughs> if you would wish an interview, address a letter to number Broadway, uh, number seven Broadway, post office, New York, stating what time we may meet. <laughs> so she just out of the blue says, I'm not really bad looking or disagreeable. Um, you know, I'm not quite as pretty or handsome as the lady that you're with, but look, I know a bit and knowledge is power. So do you want to catch up? She literally just booty called Benjamin Wood in the early 20th century, I'm assuming. When, no, I, yeah. early 19th century, late Correct. 19th That's century. Right. <laughs> she just, and how do you even get, his address you know how do you I don't even know but but good on her so she sends this letter to Benjamin Wood although Benjamin Wood was married to his second wife Delia <laughs> he did wish an interview and he was pe pleasantly surprised to find someone who wasn't bad looking at all <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a photo oh. of this Ida I, she sounds like a bit of a badass yeah, absolutely. We will put it in the socials mm. so that people can picture who I'm talking about. Uh, and Benjamin Wood as well. I have got a picture of him. So you can have a bit of a look at the couple. So again, she's 19 at the time. He's 37. He's already onto his second wife. And he's like, no, I got this letter from some random bird who says she's not particularly unattractive. I'm going to give it a crack. Now they started a relationship mm -hmm. naturally because it just that seemed to have worked out apparently. Uh, and, um, the only thing was that there was a significant divide between Benjamin and Ida, not just their age, but Ida was excellent at saving money, but Ben was a careless spender and an avid gambler. Mm. So he would play cards for very high stakes. He once even wagered the daily news, <laughs> which he was running at the time. I don't know if he's allowed to do that, but he did. Luckily he won the hand, so he didn't need to get rid of the daily news. At that time, yeah. he often, he wrote letters to Ida apologizing for his gambling habits and then signing them. Unfortunately for you, your husband, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I have, a, I have this image of her just going, oh, that's so sweet. That's, you know, yeah. it's kind of endearing. <laughs> yeah. I love that. He's like, unfortunately for you, I'm your husband, Ben. Um, then the next day he would go back to the gambling hall where he won and lost large sums of money playing roulette. Uh, one time though, he did wake Ida up and he spread a hundred thousand dollars across their bed. Uh, and then he was so excited. He's like, you count it, Ida, count it. How much did I win? How good. Um, so she was obviously excited about that. And, but she was switched on because knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. You know, she was, she was, she knew things. Uh, so Ida devised methods for dealing with Ben's addiction uh, often waiting outside the club so that if he won, she was on hand to demand her share. And then if he lost, she charged him for making her wait. Yes. <laughs> yes, queen. So she is literally sitting outside the hotel, the club, the gambling hall, wherever he was, and said, if you win, give me my half. If you lose, cost you 200 bucks. Like, I don't care. I've been sitting here waiting. I'm not waiting for nothing. 
Um, she promised not to interfere with his gambling, so she wouldn't actually go into the venues or anything, mm-hmm. providing he gave her half of everything he won and absorbed all of the losses himself. So, I think that, well, hey, look, go for it. That's it. They seem to work that out. That's okay. Now, he died in 1900, so, um, yeah, he, he passed away. And the New York Times wrote, it was a sad day yesterday that Mr. Wood possessed, sorry, no, it was said that Mr. Wood possessed no real estate and that his personal property was of small value, which that was a true statement in a sense, because everything that he owned was in Ida's name. <gasps> oh. So she's a clever little, little saucy mix. She got everything in her name. She had all of the deals going on with the gambling and he could do whatever he wants. So when he passed away, technically he had nothing or yeah. very small amount of fortune because Ida had signed it all over to herself. Uh, so that was how she had, you know, come to New York. That's how she met her husband, Benjamin Wood. And in the course of reconstructing Ida's life, so O'Brien, who's our, our head lawyer, he sent another member of his law firm, Harold Wentworth, back to the Herald Square Hotel. Harold brought Ida fresh roses every day. Some, sometimes she tucked them in a tin. Uh, she stuck them in a tin can of water. Other times she snapped off their buds and tossed them over her shoulder. So it was really just depending on how she felt on the day. She's like, I might keep these ones, or nope, I'm gonna rip all of these buds off, toss them over my shoulder. My goodness. Uh, she was yeah. She was an interesting character. What a character! It. Yeah. Yeah. She's got quite a. Quite an eccentric personality and habits and and whatever, but good on her. Living her life, yeah. living her truth. She's living her life. She wanted to, you know, be something or someone and she's she's doing it. So in addition to that, so O'Brien, you know, he's got Harold to, to go down there. So Harold Wentworth is there giving her roses. Uh, in addition to that, the firm also hired two private detectives to take the room next door to keep a watch on her 24 hours a day. Uh, whilst Ida smoked one of her slender cigars, slathered her face with petroleum <laughs> jelly and complained she couldn't hear Harold shouted at her about uncashed dividend checks hoarded cash the possibility of a robbery and how she really should let the maid come in to clean the rooms <laughs> she just didn't want a bar of it she's like I want me franks and beans this is my last 10 cents bugger off I can't hear you stop yelling at me I don't want your roses today so she's <laughs> doing her thing uh, now Harold he tried to be discreet so obviously there's, you know, possibility of, of money lying around or who is this woman and where did all that cash go? You know, they're trying to be discreet. Uh, but the word about Ida got around. Uh, they all seem to agree that the best way to help Ida was to have her declared incompetent, which mm-hmm. in September 1931, she was declared incompetent. So with the help of a couple of nurses and uh, in the presence of members of both factions of the Wood family. So this is, you know, Benjamin and Ida Wood's family. Ida was moved to a pair of rooms directly below the ones that she had occupied for 24 years. So they were finally able to get into the original room. Mm. She was crying as they took her downstairs. She was like, why I can take care of myself. But, it appeared that she wasn't really able to do that. This was not your traditional form of living. She is, you know, locked herself in a hotel room. They've finally been able to get her out. So they thought, okay, well now we can search this hotel room that she's been living in. So we've gotten Mary out, Mary passed, they've taken her. 
Ida's been moved downstairs. So they started the search of her hotel room. So whilst they were looking around, they found an old shoebox. And they opened it up and inside of it was $247,000 worth of cash, mostly in $1,000 and $5,000 bills. Ooh, so, Yeah, back then they had a fair bit of, um, you know, they had the, the larger bills, the thousands, mm. five thousands. So she had a stack of them tucked in a shoebox and just popped under, you know, popped under the bed. Um, and they thought that was all of it. Until the following day when a nurse tunneled her hand up Ida's dress while she slept. <laughs> Hello. There's something wrong with that in itself. Like, oh poor goodness. Ida. <laughs> well, she's still getting action at 94. She must be a belle. I know. Bless her. But there was a bit of a reason behind it. Because as the nurse tunneled her hand up Ida's dress, she retrieved an oilcloth pocket. So just a little, you know, handmade pocket. And inside of that pocket was $500,000 in $10,000 bills. So she's just holding on to this stuff real close to her, just for safekeeping. But yep. Whew, imagine having 500K everything. up your fanny. Like, geez. <laughs> to 500,000 tucked in your prison wallet. And then someone comes and takes it off you. What a nightmare. Uh, She'd be like, I've got an accurate count. And she's just <laughs> flick, flick, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. It's a Kegel exercise. <laughs> she's just counting the cash. <laughs> look, look, Ida, I'm doing a hands free. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> oh, poor Ida. That's so much. Oh my gosh, cash. Like we're still talking the early 1900s here. This is, that's, that's mental money. Mm. And don't forget they'd already found nearly $250,000 just in a shoebox. So we're at, you know, three quarters of a million dollars, uh, that is, is stashed. The next thing that they did. So they've, you know, had a look at her room under the bed. They've had a look under a, you know, dress, uh, found all this cash. The next thing they did was examine her 54 trunks. So she had 54 luggage trunks, some of them stored in the basement of the hotel and other, other, uh, were others. Oh, it's been a day. Mm. Others in an uptown warehouse inside of these 54 trunks lay bolts of the finest lace from Ireland, Venice, Spain, armfuls of exquisite gowns, necklaces, watches, bracelets, tiaras, gem encrusted pieces. They found $1,000, $5,000 and $10,000 gold certificates dating back to the 1860s. Wow. They found a gold-headed ebony stick, which was a uh, wood family heirloom, and it was a gift from President James Monroe. <laughs> like, this is the stuff she's just popped in a warehouse. She just doesn't... And then also they found an 1867 letter from Charles Dickens to Benjamin Wood. Wow. The Dick. A personal letter from the Dick. I, I mean, <laughs> come on, Ida. I don't think Ida had much trouble getting Dick. <laughs> <laughs> so each trunk uh, was taken to the Harriman National Bank where the content, contents were placed in vaults. In addition to those, in an old box of stale crackers, Ida loved her crackers, they discovered a diamond necklace worth $40,000. Oh my goodness. So there's a bit of cash going on. 
there is a bit of confusion around why she's storing her stuff up her jacksie and in cracker boxes. Um, but they're finding it. They're discovering it. They decided that they would dig up her sister's coffin just in case the same thing's going on for Mary. Like check, check her wallet and whatnot. So they dig up old Mary's coffin and the undertaker checked the contents. There was nothing in there but, but her remains, Mary's remains. After they've discovered all of these things, they've searched everything. There wasn't much left to do except wait for Ida to die before they could do something about this fortune. As you can imagine, whilst this news is getting out there and they're discovering more of these things and they're trying to keep it on the down low, but it's really challenging because, I mean, it's a story. People Mm. would want to hear about this and they'd want to know what was happening. So people start coming out of the woodwork saying, that's my great aunt, that's my auntie, that's my sister, that's my, you know, mother's, sister's, wife's, brother's, cousin, twice removed. And it's just getting a little bit ridiculous. Mm. 406 people claimed to be heirs to Ida Wood's fortune. Of course. Which, yeah, naturally, uh, yeah, you would think that there's going to be about that with that kind of amount of cash. So... Ida died on March 12th, 1932. And that was when the lawyers, all of the lawyers that were hired to find all of her stuff and deal with all of this, uh, that was when they tried to work out, okay, whose relatives, what's going on? And the mystery of her life started to unravel a little bit. So they're trying to determine who are we going to give this money to? So she's Ida Wood. Her Her sister, Mary Mayfield... Uh, you know, they were allegedly part of this really rich family growing up and they were, you know, part of the high society and lived down in Louisiana and Mm. she had this elaborate backstory about who she was. But when she passed away, she had alleged that her father was Henry Mayfield, who was a Louisiana sugar planter. Mm -hmm. Not the case. Her dad was a man named Thomas Walsh and he was a poor Irish immigrant who'd settled in Massachusetts in the 1840s. She had gone on about how her mother was this brilliant woman and spoke 10 languages and they travelled all over the world. Her mum had very little formal education and she grew up in the slums of Dublin. So Ida's real name was actually Ellen Walsh. And when she was in her teens, she just adopted the surname Mayfield because she liked the sound of it. Mm. So she wasn't related to any high-class Mayfields. She was not part of a prominent society when she was growing up. At 19, she just decided, I want to live a different life. I'm going to read the newspaper and write to Benjamin Wood. And make it happen. She made it happen. So most of uh, Ida's story is around just that, I suppose, how incredible that find was to, Mm. you know, try to help this woman and just try to unravel this story. And this went on for years. So these lawyers just would have been scratching their heads. Who is this woman? Why does she have so much money? She's holed herself up in a hotel for 24 years. What, like, what's going on? And it was all because she just decided she wanted a different life and picked another surname and then created what she did. Yeah, and so then at some point just decided, that's it. I've had enough. I don't need to do yeah. much more. Um, I want my million bucks and I'm going to go and, yeah, yeah, live in a hotel with my sister. <laughs> so that's the story of, of Ida Wood. 
Uh, I mean, that's that's our my sort of abridged version from the Smithsonian Magazine website. I will post a link to that particular article. But also, if you want to um, hear a little bit more detail about it, you can access a podcast called The Futility Closet. Mm-hmm. And episode 326 is called The Recluse of Herald Square. So they do chat about it in a little bit more detail. So if you're interested, jump onto The Futility Closet uh, which is about, you know, curious tales from the past. Um, so shout out to those people. But yeah, that was really, really fascinating. And I just thought, I mean, you see those hoarders programs mm. and you just think, imagine if someone I knew was in that situation. And every single time, you know, a lot of the time it's people's mothers or fathers or grandparents that they go into the house for the first time. And they had no idea. And yeah. it's such a shock. It is such a, yeah, it's it's so emotional for those people. I can't really picture what's going to drive someone to do what Ida did. You know, what was it about the world at the time that she's just sick of it all and she wants to hold herself up in a, in a hotel? As you and I well know, it's not nice being trapped in a place. <laughs> like, we need to get out. We need to do things. But what was going on for Ida and Mary that was so, you know, so concerning that they're like, my, this is my choice. I'm going to lock myself in a hotel and she could afford more than just bacon and eggs. Her 10 senses would have lasted her another 10 lifetimes. And she's just sit, sitting, literally sitting on cash all this time. <laughs> this poor woman. Yeah, it's, um, well, I've got a few friends that are dealing with, parents or family members that are hoarders um and it's it it is usually linked back to something rather traumatic happening in their life that they haven't been able to let go of and the accumulation of physical stuff fills that gap it's like a it's like a nervous tick type thing um and they're often very aware that what they're doing is not healthy but they yeah. can't not do it. It's like having a gambling problem. People who are chronic gamblers know that they shouldn't be doing it, but do it anyway. Um, but I think Ida's such a such a such a random story uh, and such a random case. You know, you have we have no idea what it was like to be her age at that time. And if you've lived yeah, a life absolutely. of having everything and people all around you, and then maybe getting to a point where you're bit paranoid about people trying to take your things like remember she lied about only having 10 cents left so she may have been trying to hoard herself away with her sister to protect all of this and it not get stolen or or well that's right because it seemed that as well you know when she's when, when she was creating all of those deals and plans with ben about his gambling she was pretty switched on about cash like obviously she was worried about, you know, potentially worried about money or more so just was really good at, yeah, accumulating it Mm. and keeping that wealth and being smart about it. So it's, yeah, probably just... She's keeping a low low profile and not drawing any attention to herself. And if she and her sister came from really humble beginnings, then being holed up in a hotel and having food brought to you and all that sort of stuff is probably hey doing better than what I grew up on so I'm good ain't so bad yeah exactly right oh but that is my story from cabin fever to Ida Wood 
That is what I came up with for today. What? I just really wanted to share it. I just found it fascinating. What a journey. What an absolute yeah. journey. And I, I'm sorry, I know you said we weren't going to do the whole conversion thing, but I'm fascinated by conversions and I Excellent. love guessing. So you said... So you guessed, what was it? 7.4, I think you said, or 7.3. 7.3 for the 250,000, was it? Yep. Guess what? It was 7.44 million. Shut up. And, That's amazing. Yeah. And the 500,000 uh, smackaroos up, up her foofy. Yeah. In her literal coin purse. Yep. Well, it couldn't have been that small. Um, that actually <laughs> converts to $14.8 million <gasps> that she was hiding up her dress. Oh, my gosh. That's mental. I'm just trying to think of like, yeah, in a conversion of being able to buy stuff today, that's yeah. phenomenal. Imagine, and, do you think that at one point she literally just couldn't be bothered wiping herself one day and she was just, she was sitting on the toilet and she just pulled out a $10,000 note and went, <laughs> I'm going to wipe front to back, flush it down the toilet. Maybe. <laughs> Well, do you reckon she had like a little, like a garter belt or something or I, I, I don't know, maybe she shoved it in her jocks. I, who knows? But, oh, obviously it meant a great deal to her. She obviously knew the value. She's hiding it, yeah, up her dress. She's naturally thinking like, I'm going to hang on to this. Like I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to keep this. No one's going to get this. But, oh my goodness, Ida would. I wonder how many people just tried to nick something, you know, like. Oh, totally. If, if. If yeah. I was, I can't imagine if you've got a forty thousand dollar necklace in a cracker box. Uh, like there surely was other cash stuffed in other places, and I reckon dollars to donuts that any of those people who went into that room after she was moved went through and just oh surely she's not going to miss a hundred dollars. Yeah. Because no doubt a hundred dollars back then, you know, we should do the conversion on that again. But a hundred dollars back then would have been probably rent for a few months. It could have been. I don't even know how much a car was then. I don't I don't even know, but it had to have been pretty good. Three grand. Mm. Absolutely. There you go. Mm. 3,000. So 100 so you literally just take a one one $100 bill. I mean, it's, she seemed to have pretty big amounts. Oh, bless. Yeah. I would have I would have done it. Sorry guys. Oh, yeah. No, it's such a it's such a good story, Kate, because it's um there's the fear, well, agoraphobia. There is the fear of dirt and disease and infection and all that. There's yeah. the paranoia of people coming to take your things and steal your money. There's the cabin yeah. fever side to it. Like it's a, it's a very layered story, as Donkey Ooh. would say. It's a parfait of a story, and everyone likes <laughs> it's a parfait. A parfait. <laughs> Everybody likes a parfait. It is a it is it's a parfait story. I like that. Is it too late to rename the app? No. <laughs> the parfait story. <laughs> I think cabin fever works though because everybody can relate to that for yeah. sure. We said at the top of the app like, oh, it's real. Cabin fever is real, and well it's so done. bizarre too. You say you were saying about how you've got not got all of your creature comforts and things. I can remember being at my house during the lockdowns and I had everything that I wanted. But I was so bored. I was like, I've got, I've got video games. I've got a computer with internet access to the infinity of the world. I've got two bookshelves filled with books, but I don't want to do any of it. Mm-hmm. 
crazy. Well, well thank you for joining me. Thanks, Dom. Thank you for joining me for my little cuckoo story. I just really wanted to share it. I just love it when I find something that I like reading about. Yeah. I thought I'm going to share it anyway. Look, it's kind of loosely, it's very loose in terms of its um, ability uh, to fit into our, our vibe. But I think our vibe's adapting. We're evolving. We're just talking about things we love with a bit of a vibe. <laughs> well, funny that you should mention that because... I've gone on a bit of a journey the past few episodes with my mysteries and my bugs and yes. all that sort of stuff, but I've decided that I've been too nice, too lenient, and too PG for our listeners, so I'm going back to my good old gory roots, and yes. I am going to tell you the most fucked up story next week yes. of... That sounds amazing. Murder, rape, torture, cannibalism. It's Boom. got everything in one and you're going to be totally grossed out and afraid and I'm just, I'm not having it anymore. I'm, I'm not being nice. It. I'm going back to my roots. Yes, I'm here for that. I'm so excited. That sounds brilliant. I cannot wait for whatever that episode has in store. <laughs> and I am going to, uh, yeah, maybe go down a bit more of a darker route next time too. I think if we could mix it up, it's going to be great. But I love that. Like, yeah, we've let our listeners feel cozy and comfy for far too long. Let's smash them with all of the worst things that humans can do to other humans. Let's, yep. let's get them. Yeah. <laughs> No more Mr. Nice Person. Perfect. Well, I mean, it's probably got something to do with you being trapped in Perth currently uh, in a house. So, you know, we'll see how we go. Um, that might help improve or enhance those those thoughts. But don't read or watch too much scary stuff because then you're going to have troubles. You're going to be sitting at the end of the hallway all, all <laughs> night. Like, I swear to God, can't sleep, clown will eat me. Can't sleep, clown will eat me. <laughs> No, I'm honestly, I'm fine. I've been spoiled rotten. People have brought me groceries. I'm staying in someone's home and, and not a hotel, which is amazing. So That's I'm great. very, very, very lucky. I could, honestly, it couldn't be better. So. That's awesome. But well, yeah. I look forward very much to your murder, mayhem, gore, and uh, yeah, grisly stories for next time. But thank you so much for joining me, and thank you to our listeners. We love you. Yes, please share, like, rate, subscribe, do all the good, usual, lovely thingies, and check out Just all of our fun button. stuff. Yeah, on Instagram. One hundred percent. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye bye. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.